Mover Nation, you guys all know how I lead a really busy life, right? And I know we could all use a little more relaxation. Now, whether you're trying to chill out or just need a good night's rest, Next Evo's CBD will be your best friend. But, and this is big, not all CBD products are created equal. Shockingly, a study found that many CBD brands contain as little as 60% of what their labels promise. I've been trying out Next Evo Naturals and Movers. It's the real deal. And their commitment? Well, it's giving you exactly what's on the label. Remember, they've undergone four clinical trials, a feat unmatched by any other brand of CBD. Now, I personally adore their Stress CBD Complex Gummies. When I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed, they are a total game changer. And those nights when sleep is all too elusive for me, the triple action CBD sleep does absolute wonders. Leave summer stress behind and upgrade your CBD. Go to nextevo.com forward slash MPT to get 25% off plus a free bottle of premium pure CBD, a $50 value limit one use per customer. That's nextevo.com slash MPT. Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you're struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. I thought everything was fine, right? She's she's breathing. Um, thank God. And then I noticed that uh, she wasn't blinking. She was staring straight up at the sky, and um, there was nothing. Uh, these short, labored breaths and no blinking at all, no, no eye movement. I went from begging her to breathe to begging her to blink. Both of us, my, myself and the neighbor, were just, you know, trying to talk to her, trying to get her to blink. Corey Foster had called 911. We heard the sirens off in the distance. They immediately got to work on, on Katie. I heard them talking about the helicopter. They asked me if I got hit. I was laying right next to her. I said I did. And then they put me on a gurney, took me to an ambulance. That was the last time I saw Katie that day. Hi, survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yay, another episode. Another episode. And this is a <laughs> this this is a doozy of an episode. Yeah. But before we get into that, it has been an interesting week, hasn't it, Tara? Oh, yes. We had an article come out. Marisol was barking at me just now. Yes, we had an article <laughs> in People Magazine. <laughs> we had uh, Marisol, who has been with you now for a week and a half, because I had my place was um, had the, the, like the tub redone. So it was like the toxic fumes. So you took Marisol. And then we had a hurricane here in Southern California. <laughs> so you couldn't bring her back to me safely because the roads were so treacherous because it was flash flooding and it was gnarly. And, um, and then tomorrow we leave for true crime and, and true crime and paranormal podcast festival in Austin, Texas. Yes. I'm really excited for Austin, Texas. That's where I went when I had my healing journey at the beginning, after my attack, it was a great place just to go and be with nature and then find a therapist and just do all that healing work. So if you ever need to just go somewhere, go to Austin, go do that healing journey. 
I've never been to Austin, Texas, as you know. Oh, really? Yeah, I've told you this before. Yeah. And it's really weird because, you know, the epicenter of the film and, and creative industry is like South by Southwest. And I've never been to South by Southwest, which is really odd. And um, I don't know, it's just one of those festivals. I have. I've been to so many other film festivals, but just not that one. And um, yeah, so I'm excited to go. I don't typically think of the outdoors and nature when I think of Austin. Is Austin like a nature place? Oh my goodness. There's these springs. I forget where it's called, but it's called like, um, it's by like New Braunfels or something like that. And it's the spring you could go in. It's gorgeous they also have barton springs pool which uh -huh. is like a natural pool it's amazing it's five acres i did a lot of research on this the other day <laughs> yes you have put a whole itinerary together for us in google drive which i've noticed yes for people that don't know i'm not type a at all but when it comes to planning i'm very type a yes i will second that for sure <laughs> When you're like, so what time are we doing this? I'm like, I don't know. Um, that's tomorrow. Can I get through the next hour? And you're like, okay. And I'm a very type A person, I think, right? You've told me this before. At times, like I think you like can lay back too and relax, but you all you are also pandantic about things as we learned what that word was before. Pedant pedantic, yes. Uh -huh. I am very... <laughs> <laughs> I can be very pedantic, but I, yeah, I guess I'm laid back. I don't really know what type A means, to be quite honest with you. So, like, I don't know anything about personality types or all that stuff. I just am just who I am. And I try to be the best human being that I can be. But, yeah. yes, you often will be like, okay, so what time is this happening? What? And I'm just like, uh, uh, like, that's tomorrow. I can't think about it. Like, I'm glad you want to plan it, but, yeah. So, you've got an itinerary. We're going to do some cool stuff in Austin. I'm very excited about the barbecue. Oh, yes. We're going to try to go to Black's Barbecue. There's no try. It's do or do not. There is no try, as Yoda would say. Okay. We are going to a good barbecue place because if I'm going to go and ruin my diet with Texas disgusting food, calorie-laden food, rather, not disgusting, I'm going to gorge myself on barbecue. There's a place that we're going to go to eat. It's called Perry's Steakhouse, right? Where they have like yes. a seven-finger... A seven pork chop which is insane to me i've never seen this before wait what's like a seven finger pork chop? i don't know but it's like seven fingers high but your hand only has five fingers so you've got to do one hand and then and well half? actually you have four fingers and then three fingers so you'd have to do this weird sort of thing i don't know it's <laughs> called a seven finger pork chop and, i was and doing no it the other way seven fingers seven fingers no thumbs but speaking of being in austin texas and our next case is from austin texas and we will be seeing this gentleman and hearing his story again in person but uh our guest today is john palmer yes and you know he lives on the outskirts a little bit um i don't think it's necessarily close to austin but he will for sure be there with the entire crew um advocating for his wife katie palmer and this has honestly been i know eric's episode was very hard and eric will be there too but i cried so much during this episode just even editing it because there's something when you lose that person that soulmate in a sense i just felt for him 
Yeah, I mean, I was crying during the episode when we were interviewing him. I think we both were. It was, uh, you know, it's, I think for me, I it hits home for me because it's the, you know, it's a mother, you know, that the kids have lost a mother. He's lost, you know, the love of his life. And it's just so, it just doesn't make any sense. It's, and I think that's the thing that gets me all the time about violent crime is it's so senseless. And this is just even more senseless because of alcohol, like yeah. it's just insane. And then the justice that he's been trying to see, but you know what? It's his story. It's Katie's story. It's about her and finding justice for her. So let's get into John Palmer's interview. What do you say? Yes. Let's get to know about Katie Palmer. Twenty twenty, uh, Katie and I were going to bed, and I told her that I was going to get up and uh, work out the next morning and go for a walk. And she told me to wake her up, and um, you know, kind of, kind of rolled my eyes because she, she didn't ever wake up uh, in in the morning with me to go walk or go work out, um, at least not not recently. And so I got up the next morning, April twenty first, twenty twenty. I went and worked out in our backyard and um, called her or sent her a text message at about 7.15 or so. And um, she didn't answer. I went inside and I woke her up and told her that I was going to go for a walk. And um, she had never gone with me before to go walking in the morning. Said she, she was going to go back to sleep. This was at the onset of COVID and she was a teacher. So she was going to, I believe she had to log in to uh, remotely teach her, her classes um, late morning. So she was probably going to sleep in. And um, I asked her one more time and I reminded her, I said, Hey, you told me that you wanted me to wake you up. And uh, she got up. And so um, she was getting ready. And I went to go let our son, Brandon, know that we were leaving to go walk. Uh, Brandon routinely got up and walked with me in the morning. And um, I've said it a million times, I'm, I'm so thankful that uh, he decided to sleep in. Um, and we left our oldest child, Bella, our daughter, um, let her sleep. Uh, just wanted to make sure that one of the kids knew where we were going. So we set out to go walk and we walked out of our driveway and uh, we live on a, um, so we live outside the city limits and we've got a two lane road that runs about, oh, maybe seven tenths of a mile and then dead ends. Um, that's the road that we were gonna walk down. We were gonna walk down Glenwood Drive. And so we started to head west on Glenwood Drive and um, we live close to an old golf course and we would normally either go walk straight down Glenwood Drive or go walk on the golf course. Um, there was some dew on the ground. Um, 
Katie was planning to go back to bed for a little bit when we got home. So she didn't want to get her uh, legs wet. So we decided to keep on walking down Glenwood, heading uh, west. Um, walked down to Golf Walk Circle. Um, it's a housing development. And there were some undeveloped lots. And she was going to show me where some killdeer were. Killdeer birds that nest on the ground. Um, she loved birds. She loved science. She was a middle school science teacher. Uh, got her degree in biology and uh, studied ornithology uh, birds in college. And we looked, didn't see any. And um, she just wanted to go ahead and turn back around. So um, we started to head back. So we're heading east on Glenwood Drive, and we're walking alongside the roadway. And um, we got to about the middle of the golf course, and that's when <clears throat> that's when our neighbor Corey Todd Foster uh, crossed over the roadway and um, hit us both from behind. We didn't hear him coming. Uh, we were walking. And the next thing I know, I'm flying through the air. You know, it's crazy because I, I didn't even feel the, the impact. I went from walking to flying, and it was a blur. And I could see his truck going down the roadway, and it seemed like we were traveling at the same, same speed. Um, I hit the ground and immediately knew that, I had been hit and uh, got on my hands and knees and I saw Katie and um, she was propped up on her left elbow and she was looking in my direction, but looking past me and she let out this horrible moan that had a lot of pain, a lot of pain. And so I heard Corey say that, oh, my God, he didn't know it was us. And he called me by name. He said, John, I, I didn't know it was y'all. He said he couldn't see. Uh, he was trying to clear his windshield. And um, I see Katie. She lets out that painful moan. And I, and I couldn't stand up. Um, I felt like I had a ratchet around my, my midsection that was tightening. I couldn't get to my feet. Um, so I crawled over to her and I'm yelling for somebody to call the cops, for somebody to call the police. And um, I crawled over to Katie and um, I laid her on her back and I noticed that uh, she wasn't breathing at all. And was begging for her to breathe. And at this time, a neighbor of ours had um, pulled up and I guess it stopped in the middle of the street. And she had come down and she had sat right next to Katie's head. And I never even looked up and made eye contact with this neighbor. I was completely fixed on Katie, uh, begging her to breathe, um, just anything. Um, finally, she let out a gasp for air and started breathing about every 10 to 15 seconds. It was a short and labored breath. 
And um, I thought everything was fine, right? She's she's breathing. Um, thank God. And then I noticed that uh, she wasn't blinking. And um, she was staring straight up at the sky. And um, there was nothing. Uh, these short labored breaths and no blinking at all, no, no eye movement. And um, I went from begging her to breathe to begging her to blink. And um, both of us, my, myself and the neighbor, were just, you know, trying to talk to her, trying to get her to blink. Um, Corey Foster had called 911, and um, we were waiting on the ambulance, the first responders to get there. I, I believe they, they showed up in um, a decent amount of time. We, we heard the sirens off in the distance, and um, they showed up. They immediately got to work on, on Katie. I heard them talking about the helicopter. Um, and then um, they asked me if I got hit. I was laying right next to her. I said I did. And then they um, put me on a gurney and um, took me to an ambulance. And um, that was the last time that I saw Katie that day. I'm so sorry. So you were taken to the ICU as well, right? I was. I was taken to an ICU here in Denison, Texas, and Katie was flown to a uh, regional trauma center in Plano, Texas. Okay. And what was it like for you to be in those moments at the hospital? I know for me personally, the hospital is a lot in re-traumatizing. What was it like for you to be in those moments at the hospital and be away from her and if this gets too much too we can always stray away no no i need to talk talk about it um not not knowing was um horrible remember being in the back of that ambulance when i was being taken to the icu and just asking both paramedics you know is she gonna be okay um she wasn't blinking is she, is she gonna is she gonna be okay have y'all heard anything and um you know, both both paramedics that, that that were with me were very professional. Um, you know, just they they let me know that they were there to make sure that I was stabilized and they were gonna take me to the hospital and they had no information on Katie. So uh, so we we get to the hospital and I remember going through triage and um, asking every single person if it was okay that she wasn't blinking, you know, and um, no one had an answer. And uh, it's you. <clears throat> you have somebody that you spent your whole adult life with, right? Married, kids. You you've started your your own life together, and you've brought you brought lives into this world, and um, I mean. She was my soulmate, man. So not knowing what um, what was going on with her, nor not knowing what was going on with my kids, um, that was huh, difficult to say the least. Um, I kept asking, 
kept trying to get any any updates. You know, of course, she's at a, a facility, um, you know, 50, 60 miles away. And um, I asked the officer uh, who was there to please make sure that somebody goes to check on my my kids, you know, please. Because uh, the only thing that I could think of as a parent is that I've got two kids at home. They've probably already woken up and they're wondering where we are. Um, and that's one thing that I did not want my kids to walk down the road. And I, I don't know, um, you know, find, find out by some, some neighbor that both their parents got hit. And then I, I just, I, I just wanted my kids taken care of. So, um, and I then finally, didn't, sorry, didn't the police go to the house and then they told the kids something that was kind of inappropriate or. So I had, I had asked the police officer, um, who was with the city of Denison, who was spectacular. I mean, fantastic. Um, asked him to please make sure that somebody, um, finds, finds my kids make, please make sure that my, my kids are taken care of. Um, and then through his dispatch, uh, they got in touch with the Grayson County Sheriff's office. And then through body camera footage, um, what we observed again, after the fact was the Grayson County Sheriff's office asking, um, Tarif Al-Khatib, who was the investigating officer from uh, Texas Department of Public Safety, which is our equivalent to state police, to go back by our house and make sure that our kids are fine. And his response was, they probably won't even come to the fucking door. That's, that's the level of professionalism that we got that day. Um, I'm in the ICU, um, not knowing what's going on with my kids, not knowing what's going on with my wife. And um, it was such a burden to the investigating officer to go back to our house um, and make sure that our, that our kids are fine. That was, huh, that was infuriating. Yeah, I'm so sorry. If you're a police officer and listening, please take these cases with the utmost care and empathy because just that is example, you know, that could have been handled so much better. And, you know, your kids should have been taken care of during that time. So I just want to apologize for that. I will say, say this, um, the Denison police department, uh, the, the officer that was in the ICU that day was exceptional. And, um, I was told that, um, there was another officer that, uh, was a, uh, service resource officer at the school that uh, Katie taught at. And I was told that he, um, he pulled off what he was doing and he eventually went to our house to make sure our kids were fine. Okay. That makes my heart happy. Yeah. That's, that's law in, in enforcement. You know, that's, that's doing your job. Um, what state police did, what Texas DPS did that day, um, was nothing short of a complete failure. Um, but going back to um, that day at the hospital, I was um, I was waiting for any kind of update. 
um, somebody had dropped off a cell phone to me and I got a call from a family member and um, was told that um, Katie was, was going to be fine, that they did a brain scan and everything was fine, that she was probably going to make it. And then um, maybe an hour or two later, um, they got a call back from the same family member who told me that um, they had got some misinformation. There was just a bunch of information um, being passed around and that um, she was not going to be fine. And that um, I believe that the information that they told me um, was some information they, they got about me. So, you know, going from roller coaster of emotion of not knowing how she was, not knowing how my kids were, to hearing that she was going to be fine, to then getting a call back saying that um, that was some bad information and um, she wasn't going to make it. That was, uh, well, absolutely the worst day of my life. Absolutely. Tara will tell you that I'm uh, rarely at a loss for words. That on it, I'm sorry to laugh at you about that, but that's a rarity <sighs> that you're at a loss for words. Right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with us, and um, I appreciate your story. I, um, yeah, Collier is very like rarely at a loss for words so that's why i like m made a joke about him but man um, i've been a lot of, i've been through a lot of shit in my life and there's rarely a time when <laughs> somebody's story affects me but um brother i'm just um it, it takes me back to those it takes me back to those words when it's a different circumstance but it's also very similar, and I think this is one of this is like why we do this program, right? Is it takes me back to that moment when they said Lieutenant Messmore found your mother, and then it was just like this eternal pause in your brain. You go through all these things of like, okay, so maybe my mom—they just found my mom like shopping in a mall, or she was holed up with her friend or a relative or something, and and she's fine. And then they say, "What I know." Which is she was dead, you know, and Lieutenant Messmore found your mother and she was dead. And just the wave of emotions and just what you go through. And then you hear one, some information, then you hear other. And it's just. It's impossible to process it at the moment. A hundred percent. You, you, you can't, you know, we're, um, we all watch movies. We all watch TV shows, and you're thinking, "Well, there's, there's no way." You know, obviously, there's there's been a mistake, right? Um, you know, it it wasn't my mom. Um, you know, Katie's still gonna be fine, right? Um, and I think the the toll it takes on you, the 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 initial shock, and then hours, days, weeks, months, even years later, you're you're still trying to process it, right? It still. all blends together though. It absolutely does. It like that people don't understand is that then there's this thing that happens and it just it's like a constant 
blur of just, you know, you're saying, okay, April 21st, 2020, which is two and a half years ago, over two and a half years ago now. And you, you have that and it probably feels just like yesterday. And when I hear you telling just that, I mean, I was just, and my heart is going out for you and I'm crying as a man. And I think we're probably around the same age, you know, and, and having a family and loving someone and having that, your partner. And have that change just like that. Yeah. Just like that. And I mean, and it, it, it never seemed real. You know, when I, when I got that call, person on the other end of the phone, strong man, very, very, very strong man to hear the emotion behind that, you know, that, that cut like a knife, you know, um, there's nothing we can do. She's not going to make it. She's, she's gone. And then I hear that, but again, I don't believe it. Right. You know, Surely there's some misinformation. Surely she's going to be fine. And then they tell me that, um, you know, there's going to be a doctor that's going to come in. It's going to do a battery of tests to ensure that there is uh, zero brain activity. And uh, that doctor would be there um, very early the next morning. Um, you know, I had that cell phone and um, my whole family, you know, her, her whole family, her whole family. And, um, my, my two kids uh, are in Plano, right? And um, I'm in Denison and they FaceTime me. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, there's uh, Katie still, um, you know, still looked, <clears throat> you know, as beautiful as she, she always did. Long black hair. Um, she's in a hospital bed and um, you know, it, it, it wasn't a gruesome accident, right? Um, she was hit by a 6,000 pound truck and her body wrapped around the hood of the truck and her head hit the hood. And that's what caused her brain to swell and then her brainstem to snap. Um, and then she was thrown 70 feet. She was knocked at, we both were knocked out of our shoes. And she was at 70 feet, but, um, you know, they had her in that bed. And then um, my kids and um, all of her family are all around her. And, uh, and I'm back. I'm 50, 60 miles away, you know, can't be with my kids on what is also the worst day of their, their life also. Right. And so, um, Mm. that was difficult. And then again, you know, the kids came, came back up to Denison and, uh, seeing, seeing them. Um, what do you, what do you tell them? There's, there's nothing you can possibly say at that moment to, uh, I mean, you, you all have been through extreme trauma. There's, there's nothing that you can tell a kid. There's nothing. So that's you tell anybody. And, uh, you know, you hug them and you tell them that you love them. And um, you tell them that we're going to get through it. We're, we're not going to get over it. I don't think we ever will. But we'll get get through it. Um, they, they left. And um, just, man, it was a daze. 
the rest of that day. And uh, I got a call at one in the morning on the 22nd of April, 2020, from a doctor um, that had informed me that um, they did those battery of, of tests and um, they, they did confirm that uh, Katie was brain, brain dead, that she's, that she's gone. Hearing that um, still didn't feel real. I remember staring blankly off for hours and one of the nurses came in and I spoke with him. I don't know if I really spoke to him or spoke at him. Um, it just was completely in the daze. And then um, I went and saw her the next day. I was supposed to stay in the hospital a couple more days, but um, I mean, there was nothing that I was going to do in there, but just lay in a bed. So um, got up and um, I had three, three or four broke ribs, two, bro two fractured vertebrae and some um, bruised organs. And, um, you know, I could either lay in a bed in a hospital or go lay in, lay in a bed at the house and just be around family. And uh, I, I went to go see her uh, as soon as I got out. And, um, you know, that's, that's when, that's, that's when I started to realize that um, she was gone. You know, um, you know, you, you, you hear it, you're told it, but when you see it, and um, saw her with the glassy eyes, and um, she was gone. And um, that's when, that's when we started um, that moment right there. That was the first day of the rest of my life. Wow. You know, one of the things that, like, I wasn't allowed to go to my mother's funeral <clears throat> because I was the chief witness against my father, right? <clears throat> That was the reason why the grand jury was able to secure an indictment against him for her murder. And that was something that, <laughs> that always, there's a f sort of finality behind seeing that person or the shell of that person or the vessel that they were in. And for me, I never got, I never got that, right? You were denied that. Yeah. And I, and I didn't actually see, I saw in my mind, of course, for decades, <laughs> but it wasn't until, it, it, you know, I was sitting, going through the case file in, in my film that I actually saw the pictures of my mother's body. And it, it's, it, it's like those things put that, and I think it's a, it's a very human experience. Right. But I also think it's 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 not even it's it's a living being experience, right? It, for some reason, that sort of seeing that person in that scenario of okay, they are not coming back, right? Because I dealt with that for literally decades, and even though I rationally understood that my mother was murdered, that she wasn't coming back, there was but you didn't see it glimmer of hope inside you. That like, oh, she'll come walking through the door. I mean, I still have it sometimes just to be super sure. real about it. I still have that like thinking back in my mind, like what if like right now my doorbell rings and it's my mother and being like, yeah, it was all a joke <laughs> because I don't really have that sort of clothes, like that sort of that, that being there or watching that person being put into the ground or whatever. And, you know, I just lost my chihuahua of 18 years, almost 18 years. Right. And not to compare a dog to a human, but I, 
I had put her brother to sleep five years before that. And a friend of mine told me, they said, you know, you should bring her with you because she can see like she'll know. Cause if you leave with him and don't come back, it will have this anxiety that just never goes away in the animal. So I'm saying at the most primordial, almost like they're going to be waiting. Right. Exactly. So there's always, always waiting. I guess what I'm trying to say and articulate, albeit very poorly is I am grateful for that, for you, that you had that moment because as someone who never got that moment, it's so important and it might, and it hurts and it's awful, but it, it, it really is. And just your, the grand screen scheme of processing all this as you, I mean, I know the wounds are still fresh. It's two and a half years, but the processing of all of it, it is really, it is so key. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. And I, and I think that, you know, your, your brain, um, <laughs> There's, you know, a big difference between your brain and your heart and soul, right? You know, your, your, your brain hears it and you know it, but it's a big difference from knowing it and feeling it, right? Uh, being able to see it and being able to, you know, it's feel that there's, there's, there's loss there, not, not just, just to be told. Um, yeah, big, big difference. And I'm so sorry that you were, um, deny the chance to um, have that part of closure. I know that's so important, and um, I'm well. Thank you, but no, we've and you know we've 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 been told the same. We've been told the same thing to get over it. Um, people die. You know, it was just an accident, uh, just an accident, and um, move on. Katie meant a lot to us, uh, what happened that day and what's happened since has been wrong to say, say the least. And we had two options. Um, one, which would have been to have, have accepted this and just moved on. Um, we chose the opposite. We chose to, uh, fight. We chose to bring awareness to what our fight for justice has been about. We chose to keep remembering Katie by um, constantly telling the story to make sure that those that we believe have um, created this injustice against us, uh, that they'll never for forget. Um, we've tried to make positive change. We've been a part of change here in Grayson County with um, county leadership back in the elections, the, the last cycle of elections, we've gotten um, a law changed with regards to uh, intoxicated motorists. Um, and that's how we decided to process this. Um, I, I do have to interrupt you because you, you said you had two choices. You really had three. Okay. And this is one of the things that I just, that was, one of the impetuses for me making my film, right? You just get over it. You can get angry and you can do something completely irrational and completely destructive. Sure. Texas justice, maybe is what they sometimes call it. Or three, you can take that and you can use that for a movement, which is what you're doing. Because ultimately, you know, it's not an eye for an eye. It's, it, it is, it is about 
taking what happened and moving forward with that and not, you know, not forgetting it, not going, but saying, we're going to use this memory and we're going to not let people forget it and understand that this is what you go through because then that ultimately, because the Agassi, the, yeah, the Agassi, the advocacy ends up being Katie's legacy is that you can affect change. So this doesn't happen to someone else. So someone else doesn't have to go through this. Correct. And, you know, I said, <clears throat> when I made the film, I said, you know, I wanted to heal myself. I wanted to talk to that, that one kid who's in foster care, been abandoned in the nature of their life, having to testify against this monster and put him away. I wanted to talk to that kid. But then on the flip side, I wanted to, I wanted someone who might be thinking of in a, in a situation and think it's a, the only way out is violence, right? The only way out is to, you know, and if it gives them just a pause to say, you know what? I see how this is going to impact kids, families, communities, but I'm going to just cooler heads. I'm just going to take a beat. And maybe that beat is what takes, you know, is what changes something. Maybe someone sees this and says, let me give the bartender my keys. Let me say somebody drive me home. Maybe I just don't get in the car when I'm angry and got in a fight with my wife and I'm going to drive really angry and, or, or, or maybe I just, maybe I just put the phone on silent and leave it there and don't pick it up. Maybe I make sure that when I do, if you give people that pause, then you impact so much change. You impact just another person's life where this doesn't happen again. Can can we talk about where everything is at? Is there a legal situation we have to dance around? Like, no, what? no. Uh, if you guys have any questions, please, please ask. Okay. So I guess my, the first thing that comes to mind is obviously this person has not been charged and obviously correct. Yeah. Um, would you like me to go, go into that? Yeah. And I, is there a wrongful death suit? Yeah. So um, we are currently, uh, we, we do have a civil suit against Corey Foster. Uh, it, uh, it appears that this is the only type of accountability that he's going to face uh, with our current DA that's in office. So Grayson County District Attorney's Office. So now you've processed this horrible tragedy and wh like what happened to the perpetrator? He called 911 at that time, the police came out. Was he intoxicated? This concludes part one of our two-part episode with John Palmer. Can't wait for part two? Please subscribe to the Survivor Squad Patreon to receive exclusive early access to all episodes. On that note, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad Podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.